0: That's right,
1: Chuck. Hello there. <laughs> <laughs> Ninety nine nerds. We are here for episode eighteen. It is me, your boy Austin, and Sean Tacular Terry. Hello. And we are here to talk about something that hit Disney Plus that caught me and Sean's attention, and we immediately were like, shoot, we got to watch this, and we got to talk about it. Let me tell you something, Austin. I am
0: over 11,500 days old today, and I have never been more
1: excited to talk about something (laughs) in my life. This was not only was sean a little bit more prepared for this episode than i was um but it's also just like straight up his alley so i think sean's going to take the lead for most of this discussion uh we are here to talk about the disney plus what would you call it docu series yeah
0: docu series it's six parts
1: each one's about an hour yep called light and magic light and magic yeah for those who don't know light and magic is the docu series about industrial light and magic sean what is ILM? ILM
0: is the visual effects company that George Lucas in essence started and founded during the production of Star Wars A New Hope way back in 1975, 76, whenever they kind of began that. It's interesting the backstory because uh, one of the things that we kind of misunderstand about the film industry is it used to be this big, big thing. You had uh, Paramount and Warner Brothers, right? You had movie movie studios used to be their own self-contained thing they had not only their own studios to build the sets in but they had all their own directors all their own actors mm-hmm. like they were kind of these like singular entities and that meant that their visual effects and their props that was also all part of the system well what happened is like 50s 60s kind of came and went and a lot of those studios they they kind of collapsed mm-hmm. because you know they just kind of got too big and certain things just were getting sold off. So when George Lucas was making Star Wars, the problem was there wasn't any visual effects houses or companies for hire. Right. They just didn't really exist in the way he needed them to uh, to be able to make the movie he wanted to make. And so he kind of had to start one on his own. Right. And it's so fascinating because you don't think about a visual effects company in 1997, I'm sorry, 1977, you don't think about it like, oh yeah, these guys are a bunch of professionals, they knew what they were doing and they just kind of like made Star Wars. It's fascinating to think like, no, these were all like, everything they did was kind of made up on the spot. Like they had to learn how to do all of it. Yeah. Like even stop motion was like, okay, we get stop motion, the idea of like, take a model, animate it, take a picture, animate it some more, take a picture. Right. But they were trying to figure out ways to do it beyond the scope of that. Yeah. Like they had to build, they had to build like motion control cameras. Yeah. Which is something like is so fundamental to me because I, I work with cameras, I work with video. And it never occurred to me that in the 70s, somebody hadn't really figured that out yet. Mm-hmm. And they were just like doing all this stuff to film models that were like that big. Yeah.
1: Because that was the... Only logical way to make it happen on the screen. Right. There was another docu series that was released. What was it called, Sean? The um, Empire of Dreams. Empire of Dreams. I saw that a couple years ago, and I was absolutely blown away. That docu series does a really good job of diving into, really George Lucas's story and his story of starting Star Wars and all the obstacles he had to overcome. And they talk a lot about ILM in that. But this goes even further, where it was a hero's journey for him. For sure. I mean, he just the, the mere fact that Star Wars was made is a pure miracle. Yeah, And the ripple effects that it created with ILM is like, th- this docuseries dives into so much that I either forgot or I knew, but I didn't realize how connected all of it was and mm-hmm. how really George and ILM is the very beginning of all of it. Yeah, we, uh, we owe so
0: much of what filmmaking is today to George Lucas and the founding members of ILM. Yeah. It's funny because people like poo poo George all the time nowadays because they hate the prequels. right? Um, and they feel like, oh, you know, he's not a very good director. He's not very good uh, getting actors to perform. You know, he doesn't know what he's doing. But like the guy is genuinely a pioneer of film. Yeah. And it's, it's incredibly underestimated how much stuff is directly from his brain. Right. Like it's not even like he kind of borrowed ideas. Like he had to just invent something. Yeah. Like for example, he invented alongside with some other people the nonlinear editing system. Um like I'm an editor. I spend a lot of time editing video. And nonlinear editing is essentially like okay, all of your footage is digitized. Mm-hmm. You don't have to literally take out the film strips, right, and like cut them and then tape them together right. to edit something it's digital editing. He invented digital editing because he didn't want to sit there cutting
1: film stock anymore. I love how in this docu-series, it's just like him over and over again saying like, there's a better way. There's got to be a better way. Like this isn't efficient. There's ah, this, I hate doing this. There's
0: got to be a better way.
1: Yeah. And just like he, and there were parts in this docu-series and we'll kind of run through the kind of a little bit of a, a recap, but um where he just like he can see that like this isn't the best way the future will be better and then like moments where like the computer gets introduced and he's Mm -hmm. immediately like no guys like we need to move towards this and everybody within his circle and everybody within the industry is like holding on to how things are done and he's like no guys no this will be how it's done this will be easier this will be better That's a
0: pioneer man that's the definition of a pioneer like hey guys I got us. We, we're gonna get to some place. It's greener on the other side. It's gonna be better over there, and nobody wants to go. Yeah, everybody's resistant to that change. Yeah, and it's like, guys, it's gonna be so much better. It's like, well, I don't want it better. I want it. I want things the way they are. Right. And then they, like, he drags them tooth and nail over to the other <laughs> side. And they're like, oh yeah, this is much better. Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I watched the. Um. I mean, I, I'll say this: for as much as Disney has like botched a lot of stuff, especially with the Lucasfilm stuff. Sure. The documentary type uh yeah content that they have put out like highlighting george yeah. is just i i never would have known these stories um especially it's the uh it's like the director's roundtable discussion that they did yeah. for the mandalorian yeah, yeah yeah and bryce dallas howard is there bryce dallas howard has known george lucas for a long time maybe her whole life because yeah. Uh, her father, the director, Ron
0: Howard, got his start in acting, I think, in American Graffiti. He did. And if not that movie, I
1: mean, he got into filmmaking because of Star Wars and George Lucas. Exactly. It's like everything is connected with this. And and so then she's talking about how George was always, she's like, you know, I saw him with my dad and we were on set for this movie and that movie. And I can't remember exactly what she says in those roundtable discussions. But her takeaway was like, George was always 10 years ahead of what the technology would allow him to do and like if he could have been using cgi for a new hope he would have. in fact he went out of his way to do it yeah when he
0: did the special editions
1: yeah yeah exactly he went back and redid it all and um yeah it really they do a good job of highlighting his genius and if you want to say they tarnished his his franchise with the uh, sequel movies. Who cares, man? I mean, they have honored him personally sure. pretty well with what, what they've been putting out lately.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I've constantly been frustrated with, the Disney takeover of Star Wars, it has so much less to do with the quality of the movies or what I think is the right direction for the stories. The biggest gripe I have that I just can't reconcile is the, the drastic, devastating lack of transparency about the behind the scenes process yeah I've always been frustrated it's like okay when I hear that an enormous amount of Rogue One was reshot that um, Gareth Edwards made the movie and the original cut they weren't happy with and so they did extensive reshoots I'm like okay well that's an interesting story I want to know what that is like how do right. you come to those decisions because like, I I want to be a filmmaker I want to learn like that process yeah and like they don't they don't talk about it. It's not right. on the Blu-ray. It's right. not on the behind the scenes. The same thing happened with Solo where they fired the original directors. Right. Reshot eighty percent of the movie. Yeah. And I'm like, that's you guys, you know, you can talk about that. Yeah. Like just
1: can put it get, out there. Let, let's get the details. Can not we be, get that original director's yeah. like, take on all of this? Not
0: because it's like, oh, I love the drama, but because I I wanna know the process right. that happens that makes that stuff real. For sure.
1: Yeah, you know what was, I was thinking throughout this whole docu-series, it's like, it's crazy how much original footage they have from the early days of ILM. Because I I saw Empire Dreams multiple times. Yeah. And I just assumed that's all the footage
0: they had (laughs) of those guys back in the 70s. They got so much.
1: I mean, it was genius. I think they understood in the moment, like, we're doing something nobody's ever done. Yeah. There's cameras everywhere. We might as well point one of them at us while we're doing this. I mean... They were thinking ahead. They were thinking the long game on Everybody that. Everybody had the awesome '70s beards and stuff like that. Yeah, that was right, legit. Huh? I I so I mean we can talk about a little bit of the recap. It's there's so much content. Um, I, I'll be honest. Some of it is kind of. I was, I was thinking during the segment. Um, they're talking about the guy who does the stop motion. Yeah, and it's like a huge segment on him. Phil
0: Tippett, one of them for sure.
1: Yeah, he's the one who did the uh, the walker sequence for yep, yep which that was a cool story so in episode five the atat walkers i mean well it was an extremely elaborate process super elaborate it was inspired
0: by those drawings they had a yeah from a, like a magazine of I think it was a steel company. Yeah, like put out these weird brochures of like what
1: the future could look
0: like with the steel industry in fifty years.
1: Yeah, and they had this walking four four-legged truck, and yeah. they were like, "Oh my gosh, that's it. That's what we should use." And then they based the sh- of all the things in the world, they based the shape
0: overall on like this like extinct giant mammal, yeah, like half rhino thing. Yeah, it's like really funny to think that there's like a logic to how this stuff played out because when you're a kid or you're anybody. You just watch star Wars and you just take it as is. You don't think about like somebody had to kind of invent this. Right. And then had to like make sense of like how it would move. Yeah. And then again, you watch the movie and you just assume it happens the way you see it. You don't think about somebody on their knees for like <laughs> 70 hours. yeah, Animating every minute detail yeah. on this thing over and over and over again.
1: And they said like they had that set, they had it set up, and they only had one day with it before they had to tear it all yeah, down yeah, yeah. and use that space for other stuff. They said, this, anima- or this stop motion sequence needs two animators, but one of the guys who was going to do it had the flu. So that yeah. guy did all of so, it. It's just <laughs> like, yeah. So this docuserie kind of no like- No choice. It, it tells it you stories like that. It highlights like key moments that either pushed- the boundary and push the technology forward or just like funny stories that are like just cool to hear the history behind it. Um, but amongst all of that, I, they just like that story with that uh, stop motion guy, it like all of a sudden takes this dark turn where they're talking about how he's basically super depressed all the time. Yeah, He's bipolar and how like this being laser focused on a project for yeah. ILM is essentially what saved his life. Like the, the
0: concentration required to model. Yeah, and move these little things frame right. by frame, like this focus he had yeah. to have. It like it like it got him through every day, which is like a really interesting way of looking at his work now.
1: It is, except it was just kind of like this dark moment in the whole thing where it's like, well, yeah, because it's like
0: it's just these are real people, man. Like really, yeah, I guess so. And it's it's interesting because one of the things that I I really appreciated so much watching the documentary is that these guys are really like you and me yeah i would just assume that they're like miracle workers and magicians right right but they're just dudes who just like you and me would show up to work and like not really know what they were supposed to do to make this happen <laughs> and they just have to figure it out and like brainstorm until it was possible
1: yeah i love how they uh so they talk they're talking about a new hope they're talking about how george kind of brings these guys together like ah can you try to do this can you do that and he said how it's like almost this underground community of he hired one guy who was like the point man yeah and then that guy brought on everybody else he's like this guy knew everybody oh this guy knows a guy who can do this yeah just a bunch of duders being duders yeah and they all got together and they're in this shack like this garage with this grungy just furniture and everything's gross but they're just having a ball (laughs) and uh They, yeah, they kind of detail how things started. But I loved how George was in Tunisia, was it? Well, he was in Tunisia at the start of uh, the production
0: for A New Hope, but he spent several months in England. Right. Uh, yeah. doing principal, the majority of the production photography was in London. Yeah, so maybe, he was gone. Maybe not London, but England, for sure.
1: And, I mean, th- it wasn't even like ILM at this point. It was just like, oh, I, I hired some dudes who are working on this <laughs> back yeah. in the States, back in L.A. And he's he's filming all this stuff. When he finally gets back to L.A., all they have for was him... like two shots, I think. Yeah. like Literally just two. They, they, they had spent the, half their budget. They had the, the escape pod being released from the the rebel ship in the beginning with R two yeah. and C three PO, and, and then, then they, like a
0: close up of the turret firing,
1: and that was it. And they, how much of the budget did they said they had already spent at that I point? Think it was like fifty yeah. percent or something it's like that. It's like we've got like you know eighty shots to do, and we just blew through fifty percent of I the. Think budget. it was four hundred shots. Oh <laughs> my god! <laughs> and they're like George was, and then George not Lucas, happy and
0: then like a couple days later, George Lucas was in the hospital because he thought he was having a heart attack. Yeah. So just your classic story. Well, it's it's great because it kind of it kind of reminds you that like the process of doing something great really requires like enduring a lot of stress. Oh, for sure. And setback, and like the intimidation of hard work. Mm-hmm. Like this stuff was not easy. Right. Now it's trivial. Yeah. You know, like there's stuff that can kind of like. I mean, I got plugins and After Effects or whatever that'll do that stuff like without me even thinking about it. Yeah. But somebody had to like sit there and literally make tiny meteorites and photograph them one after another a thousand times until they were tired of designing meteor uh, meteorites. So they like. They just like started putting potatoes on sticks because yeah. it's like nobody's gonna notice it's right. so far
1: off in the distance. Cares. Yeah, they said I don't know if it was in Empire or in Return of the Jedi, but the guy who does those elaborate sequences, was a sh- what did he put a shoe he in. He had a shoe. He said I had like a wad of bubble gum. And he's yeah. like, and he's like, I could point to them, but they're so far in the background, you, you would never know. They just look like specks. He's like, but I was having fun with it and right yeah. on and those are the cool details that you you get a this multi-million dollar project and these guys are just goofing off <laughs> fun. interesting yeah i so then yeah they're progressing and it's like the smash success of a new hope yeah and one of the things that george says is everybody's freaking out and positive you know reviews about how just transformative this is and how just yeah. revolutionary it is and George says, honestly, like looking back at the footage, I think is a line where he says like, I could see the blue, I could see the tape, I could see the rubber bands that we used to hold everything mm. together. And he said- Still it, not happy. Yeah. He said, I'm such a perfectionist. And it was only 25% of what was in my head was actually on the screen. I
0: 100, and I'm, I'm so glad he said that because I get that intrinsically, mm-hmm. like the phenomenon of, I feel like I've never made something that was as good in reality as I did wished it was in my mind right like I've never surprised myself or yeah. impressed myself I mean fortunately other people are impressed but it's like the idea of being a creator and an artist you just you have such like big 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 ideas yeah. but you can't like just get them out of you that easy yep and that's kind of cool because it re- it kind of reveals the idea of like you can do it if you just keep going right I thought it was really interesting how George would frequently say, uh, just go think about it or whatever. Right. (laughs) Well, think about it. Yeah, like Dennis Muir would tell him like, hey uh, that's not going to work. This aerial shot of these snow banks and Norway or whatever you guys filmed and you want us to like animate a tauntaun running across the field like, "Eh, I can't really do it. We had to have shot it differently. We we could build a giant model of it, but it wouldn't really work that way. And he's just like telling George no. And you know, George why don't you just go think about it? (laughs) And it's like, no, no, George is not going to work. Well, you know, just go think about it. And then he like was like literally like an hour later or something like 30 (laughs) minutes later. He's like, it just hit me like, yeah, that's how we're going to do it, (laughs) which is kind of like super inspiring when you think about it, like the idea of like, hey, nothing's impossible. Just think about
1: it. Yeah. Just keep thinking. Just a good leader. He is, and that he was saying, which later is funny because he
0: at one point said he's, he, I'm not a good leader. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, he said like honestly, like I'm not, like I'm not super good at like managing people, but because uh, he doesn't like conflict. Sure, that's I, probably his biggest issue. I'm kind of the same way, and I'm also the same way. We're like, I like doing a lot of DIY projects. Like recently, I built a little just like raised garden bed at our house, and I finished it, and my wife's like, "You did it! Oh my gosh, you finished the whole thing! It looks amazing!" I'm like, I hate it. There you I, go. I used miters on the corner. None of the miters line up. The wood is all different. I already made a planter box before that, and the wood I got from one Home Depot was different from the other Home Depot, and I'm just going to look at them all day every day and see, those are two different woods. Those miters don't even line up. Here's the part where you got to put pictures of it to let the Internet judge for themselves. Oh, my God. I will. I will link that over my face right now. Yeah. So I could relate to George in that. Aspect, but yeah, they they highlight a couple things, and and mostly just like the pressure of having to go bigger every every time. single movie had to be the you had to you had to beat yourself yeah from the last year. And what was interesting too was the transition from A New Hope to Empire Strikes Back. There's this downtime where George is writing Empire yeah. Strikes Back, and these this group of guys that he hired are like kind of fiddling around doing nothing. It's like yeah, I mean like
0: they had several several maybe a year or whatever of work nonstop movies like we're running behind yeah. the movies coming out we got a hurry breakneck right. and then like nothing Yeah, and it's funny because it's true Oscar season is still a few months from now
1: mm-hmm. when
0: they're going to get to go on a stage and like hold a statue but between then and right. finishing the movie it's like uh hey <laughs> Battlestar galactica called up we can maybe yeah. do some stuff with them right yeah
1: so they were doing a little bit of work for Battlestar galactica because it was kind of like oh, i hired this group of guys it wasn't a company at that point it right. was just like a segment of guys and and they were just kind of like we're just like guys for hire contractor yeah. or, you know whatever and gang of misfits and this job's over and i guess i'll wait till my phone rings for another job
0: what's actually a great benefit for them is a lot of them had like a couple skills But working in Star Wars, the team was small, and the requirements were so extensive, everybody had to learn how to do pretty much everything. Right. Like, they had to learn how to be camera people, learn how cameras work, they had to learn to be model makers, Mm -hmm. and there's like a science to making this stuff, it's not just art. Right. And they all had to, like, basically become filmmakers themselves, which is really interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then the the other thing that I really didn't understand, I didn't know this part of the story, is that once empire strikes back was like written and george was starting to get ready yeah. to like get ilm actually going yeah um he almost like drafted guys he like hand-picked like these right. are the guys that were involved in new hope that i really want to move forward with mm-hmm. and what the lead guy in a new hope was kind of left behind yeah they were moving the production like
0: the whole company was going to be in a different part of california
1: yeah they moved to san francisco area so it
0: wasn't going to it wasn't going to be like, okay, guys, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing here. Like he, he had to ask people if they were serious because they would have to move, and it was going to have to be like a whole thing. Like this is where you're going to be now. Right. Um. I think it was John Dykstra, right? Mm-hmm. He was the he kind of was the the lead. He kind of ran and managed a new hopes production. Right. And uh, you know, it's it's kind of a weird thing. I'm glad they touched on it in the documentary because it would be easy just to like gloss over that.
1: Like, oh, by the way, this guy
0: wasn't invited to kind of go join the right. future.
1: And he was in it a lot. Like, there was yeah. a lot of scenes where he's explaining new hope, new hope, and like, oh, this is the point guy. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah, but he wasn't a part of Empire. It's like, what?
0: I, I guess, uh, and I guess even he admits the 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 problem might have been he was just kind of an immature person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was like, maybe people just didn't want to work with him. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that... Uh, that's a that's a weird thing to think about, especially because of what ILM would become, right? And that's kind of the that's kind of the awkward part of it. Sure, it's like getting kicked
1: out of the Beatles after yeah. the first show, or like uh, Steve Wozniak, who uh, was number two in Apple, and then he kind of got pushed to the side. And Steve, Steve, Jobs. who? Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> you mean Steve Jobs?
0: Yeah, the guy who started Pixar. <laughs> yeah, so then they Yeah, then we, they
1: touched on that They touched on that I had no idea that George Lucas essentially invented Pixar Yeah I didn't even know that Well,
0: it's it's interesting to say because you can never like I guess it's not fair to say George Lucas did all this stuff Right But what he was really good at was getting people who kind of already had a couple ideas And just pushing them Right Like the Pixar computer he found people who were doing 3D modeling mm-hmm. and he got them into the company and he just like like he said earlier, he just like let them play around Yeah. until they like came up with stuff and like this is going to be the future, this is going to be the future, this is going to be the future and he kept like inspiring and motivating these guys to keep trying stuff. Um, I guess what's interesting is like they invented the Pixar computer. I don't remember why it was called the Pixar computer but essentially it was like a was like a 20 grand box hundred thousand hundred thousand dollar box that could do 3d modeling and i think it was like a weird thing where george knew it was going to be awesome but they just didn't have the these guys wanted to do fully cg films right but george nobody was making them at the time and he didn't want to like hold the guys back right so he just like sold the company and like let those guys kind of go off and do their own thing yeah and like let them keep the name Pixar and everything. Yeah, To Steve Jobs, of course.
1: Crazy, I, that, was, that was one where they're talking about it in the docu-series and I was kind of distracted while I was watching that segment and they're like cutting to talking about Pixar. And I'm like, oh, I, I wonder if they're just like trying to merge like what ILM was doing with what Pixar was doing because yeah. it was all kind of the same thing. And it's like, oh no, this is George's too. And he then sold it to Steve Jobs. I was like, what the heck? He had his hand in everything.
0: The guy who invent the guys who invented Photoshop. Yeah. <laughs> John Knoll <laughs> and his older brother. Yeah. That was another crazy story. That connection I didn't even realize. Like oh yeah, either. just by the way, <laughs> John Knoll working at I L M ever since he was a kid. That's all he wanted to do. Yeah. And then like on a weekend, him and his older brother like invent Photoshop. <laughs> It's just like, and then it's like,
1: oh, yeah, by the way, George, I think we can use some of this for what we're doing. He's like, yeah, they brought in this, like, this rough beta version of this new program. It wasn't even called Photoshop at that time. It's like, George Lucas and ILM had the first version of Photoshop at their disposal. And just, man, the the tree of, like, yeah, technological advancement, computer graphics. Somebody
0: needs to do that, like, literally make a tree with George Lucas as the trunk. Yeah and then just show all the things that have developed because of the his movies, company. The movies
1: that were made and yeah. the way they were made, the companies that were created, I mean, the people that became who they are today because George started ILM yeah. with A New Hope.
0: I mean, the Ron Howard connection is, already, I already mentioned that, but yeah. like something crazy is that James Cameron said he saw Star Wars, he came home and he told his wife like, I'm gonna be a filmmaker.
1: I'm quitting my job. I'm gonna be a filmmaker. Well, we had a conversation before this. I said, one of my toxic traits is like, when I get really deep into something and I'm like really invested, I'm like researching something, I convince myself mentally that I can do anything. So I'm watching this and I'm like, shoot, like- I can do this. I wanna be a special effects guy. I wanna be a filmmaker. I wanna build models, even though that's completely irrelevant in today's society.
0: It is interesting too, because I think at everybody, everybody, who saw Star Wars at the theater and kind of talked about it in the the documentary, all said like, oh, it blew my mind. Yeah. Which after a while almost sounds like ridiculous because like it didn't really blow your mind. Come on guys, like you're just being exaggerating. You're just like being hyperbolic because it's Star Wars and you want to sound like you loved it that much. But I only think that way because movies just don't blow my mind anymore. Sure. But at the time I can understand how somebody could see Star Wars and it would like change the game. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. I never, knew, I never knew sitting in a seat in a dark theater could be this, right. like I gotta do something, I gotta make movies, yeah. I gotta be the guy. <laughs> and it's kind of funny too, because it's like, it would have been so tempting for a lot of people to think, oh, well, you know, they already did it first. And uh, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm years behind. Yeah. It's like, dude, John Knoll was like a teenager when he first went on a tour of ILM. Yeah. And then years later, not only is he the guy who creates Photoshop, not only is he the guy who's like pioneering visual effects, Years later, he would be the guy who would pitch Rogue One, the film, to <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy. So crazy, yeah. absolutely
1: crazy. How it's it kind of it's kind
0: of like the idea of like, hey, when you hang out with innovators like George Lucas and Dennis Muren, you become an yeah. innovator. You become yeah. inventive and like you dream bigger. Mm-hmm. You have all these kind of ideas. You believe you can you can do it. Yeah. And like ILM was a place that
1: allowed people to just do it it's like uh, yeah, it's iron sharpening iron one yeah. thing like once you once you understand the tree that George Lucas created one story that I honestly had not heard up to this point was how when he was a teenager he was almost killed in a car accident yeah I, heard, I never heard that story either yeah some guy but barreling down the street at nine, 90 miles an hour hit him broadside yep. and he woke up in the hospital and the nurse basically telling him like don't worry you have all your arms and legs and he's like what oh and gosh. everybody there said like you should be dead And it was kind of this like, yeah, is there like a divine providence over my life where I'm supposed to do something? Dang. I mean, the ripple effects in the film industry that he's created are just amazing to see how they break it down and like the history of it year by year. It's not even like just every year something crazy was happening. Yeah,
0: like you think like, oh, it's a six part documentary series. It's probably going to cover the 40 something years. Like, dude, the first three episodes barely cover, like, the first five years. Right. Like, it's just, like, so much stuff yeah. happening so quick. And what I love about this documentary series so much is it doesn't even focus on George Lucas that much. No. Or, like, oh, Steven Spielberg. Or, you know, it's, like, it's like random people you've never heard of. Yeah. But they were there the whole time. They were the guys who painted the, the matte painting mm-hmm. of obi-wan standing over that ledge when he's turning right. off the tractor beam and here's this guy who spent hours doing it yeah and here's this guy who had to like su- kind of sneakily tell the infamous Ralph Macquarie who is also a painter like Oh god, his his clouds he paints suck. <laughs> I gotta find a way to like
1: sneakily he's like, do Ralph, it on my own because he's you, not good at it. He's like Ralph. We we've got so much work, Ralph. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let me you, let me do that. You focus on these. I can paint the clouds, Ralph. Let me do this. And the map painting stuff is crazy because it's
0: like, it's so good. It works so well. It it like, it astonishes me. It's still not done more today. Yeah. Because I can't believe how like. There's so many things I just assumed was a set. Yeah. I just assumed they built a set. Right. But it's like, because the painting was that well done. Right. And to think it's not even just that, the painting was that well done. They literally would like paint it on glass, and then like line it up and yeah. overlay it over the footage. It's crazy.
1: And it's like, how did they get the colors right. and the lighting to match? <laughs> like, how did they do that? I love the guy uh, explaining the the. Uh, Obi-Wan bringing down the tractor beam because he's like he's like so like I paint this and it's like I just paint this infinite abyss Yeah. and then you think about it and it's like why would they put the switch right over this infinite abyss? It doesn't make any sense but it just heightens the because it drama. looks so cool you know <laughs> it just admits it like it looks sweet that's why we that's did why it that's why you do it
0: or even like Cloud City like I just okay you don't even think about the idea that like okay here's the shot of the Falcon has landed on the landing platform in Cloud City and the gang is all walking towards Lando Calrissian. You don't even think about, no, somebody painted yeah. everything around the scene that the characters are literally walking down. Yeah. And you're like, it's a painting?
1: It's crazy. Like it looks so good, holy yeah, cow. It really does. It takes talent, man. Very, very much so. I mean, the the people that were involved in this project were like perfect for the job. Yeah. Um. So then, like they, and talk- of course,
0: none of them believed it at the time. No, 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 they
1: talk about how like a new hope. I can't remember how many employees they said they had. It was maybe I don't know, like, call it, like forty. And then for Empire Strikes Back, they had like a hundred and seventy. Yeah. So they just they went so big with Empire Strikes Back, and then George had not written Return, Return of Jedi. the Jedi. So, so now there's what? all this downtime. It was 1980, and they're like okay, so now what? We've got this giant team of employees and we have to find something for them to do. Yeah, So, and you don't wanna just like lay off everybody. No, so George basically said like, well, I'm gonna make it so that like, if any of my friends yeah. wanna use this team, like I'm not, this team is not allowed to say no to any of my friends. So yep. I would describe it as George had this shiny new toy that could do stuff that no no other toy on the market could do. And when he wasn't playing with it, he was going to let his best friends play with it. That's right. So the first person who, like, other than Battlestar Galactica using them in between A New Hope and Empire, the first person to really utilize them was Steven Spielberg. Right. For Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost dark Yeah, of course. Which I forgot. George Lucas wrote, wrote. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost. Ark. Yeah. By the way, <laughs> he's like, he's he's like, oh, what are you going to do next, Steven? He's like, well, I'm really hoping that they let me do like a James Bond film. And George is like, oh, don't forget all forget all about that. I got something white in cooler. Than... <laughs> <laughs> so then they do Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then Spielberg is like, absolutely. His mind explodes with what ILM can do for him. Yeah. And he basically vows like, I will never do another movie without ILM. Don't ask what you can do for ILM. <laughs> ask what ILM can do for you. Yeah. So then it like it fast forwards. What was the movie he did where the house implodes? Uh, Poltergeist. Was it Poltergeist? Okay. That was insane. That was so cool. Um, they break down like how, and like I said, they really like, they give you a really good overview story violin, but then they highlight certain things that they Yeah, did. like really specific shots that were very elaborate yeah so in the script it said the house implodes not explodes right implodes <laughs> which guy, is different the guy said he i don't know if he sent it to, to steven spielberg but he's like you realize this is a two hundred and fifty thousand dollars sentence right here. right <laughs> it's like i can make stuff explode really easy, but you want it to implode
0: yeah and it's like oh well you know just film it exploding and then just put it in reverse it's like no 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 that's no, not the same that doesn't
1: work that so doesn't they work. they give you really detailed diagrams of how they made this house just gets sucked in on itself like it's got all these cables that literally are yanking the house yeah. in through a hole the house was made of balsa wood and paper and it was weighted down and then it was strung with piano strings on the inside and then it was all funneled through a tube which was connected to a vacuum and a forklift the forklift pulled the piano strings which sucked in the house and then they had the vacuum to like suck any debris down yep. this hole And then he had shotguns. Yeah, just for
0: effect, in (laughs) case they needed to. They had two
1: shotguns shooting at it to break it apart even more. It was so cool to see that. And it's like, man, who is the guy that was like, this is how we do it? They actually show him. This is how we do it. He was talking about He's like, he spent a long time trying to figure out, like, how can I make this house just get sucked in on itself? Man. And then they show it. And it's like, they show the finished product. They, they showed you kind of like how they were gonna do it with the diagram and then they showed you the finished product. And it's like, man, they were just like pushing the boundary and changing the game for every one time. shot. For one shot. Yeah. But then it's like, they took what they learned in that poltergeist and everything from then on was like, well, we if we ever have to do that again, we know exactly what to do. Yeah. Meanwhile, nobody else in film knows how to do that. Exactly. And that's like the beauty of all of this. Every movie they did, they learned something new and they took it with them and <laughs> there's that, uh, they didn't. They have like some guy try to do like a, uh, what was it? Walter Cronkite. He was like on the yeah, set. yeah. Walter
0: Cronkite visited George Lucas on the set to do like a little news special on yeah. it. Yeah,
1: and all all the ILM guys were ticked that he was there. It's like we can't show anybody our secrets. Well, what's funny is like the idea of like, again, these guys aren't
0: like as professional as you'd think they'd be, and so Walter Cronkite's there and like, okay, well, we're gonna pretend to be animating the tauntaun and <laughs> we're gonna have two guys on it and they're gonna have all these gauges that yeah. like kind of pin different parts of it so we know how much it has to move back in place right and the guy's like yeah no, none of that stuff would have ever been used like, <laughs> we wouldn't have two people working on it ever we would have never been using the gauges and the rulers and all that stuff it's like no we're just it was way more by the shooting by the hip yeah so was that
1: great. that was a cool little tidbit like they really were just figuring out as they went, and that, and then George is talking to him like, yeah, I mean they spent months, you know, researching the movement of these animals to make sure that it can mimic it correctly. It's like, yep. none of that happened.
0: <laughs> well, I mean Phil Tippett was great because I think it was I think it was the Tauntaun or mm-hmm. maybe it was something else, but he was specifically talking about how. One of the shots he needed to get was really intimidating because he had to like animate this thing moving realistically. Yeah. And so the only way he knew how to do it was like practice, practice, practice. He spent like weeks practicing, Mm -hmm. doing it over and over and over again on his own so that when he actually showed up to work to have to do it, it like would look as good as possible. Yeah. Like I've I've animated something stop motion before. It looks like crap. (laughs) (laughs) You might remember it was the shoes. It was like those shoes yes, dancing for that, I do remember that series. So it's like, it just looks terrible when you look at it in hindsight. <laughs> but it's like, so I can kind of appreciate the idea of like, I just assume Phil Tippett knows what he's doing. Yeah. It's kind of really cool to figure out like, no, there was a time he, he had it
1: pretty much figured out on his own too. Right. I actually, to go back to when they were doing A New Hope, one of the funniest scenes that I I thought was like super interesting to see how they did it was the, uh, the first tunnel run that the uh down the Death Star Trench yeah down the Death Star Trench the first run where I can't remember which pilot it is but he takes a shot at the exhaust port and he misses yeah and how they filmed that was like they put the model outside it was the, like 40 feet long or yeah, something 40 foot long <laughs> model of this trench they just put it in the parking lot and they're like to get the speed right we needed to drive a vehicle 20 yeah, just, miles an hour just, like set the camera on a truck bed and they're just <laughs> they're just going and then like then we detonate the charges and just boom! There's a big explosion At right next the exact to the car. Right <laughs> moment, and then they they show you them filming it. They show the explosion. They show the car, the cameras, and then they show you the finished product in the movie. And It's like, how did they do this? <laughs> it's magic by
0: faith, I'm, no doubt. Uh, so what's actually kind of interesting about the document documentary series that we started getting into? We haven't finished it yet. Yeah. But now that you're getting towards like the later half of it, is it is the transition to like what they call the dark side? Yeah. Which is okay now. They've do they've done all these things, and little bit by little bit, they're experimenting with computers to do some of the visual effects, right? And how that slowly starts taking over, yeah. And like the model makers feel like they're not as important anymore, right? And, you know, they start kind of um, pulling talent from yeah. some of the other departments to get them learning CG and right. working on computers, like Dennis Mirren You know, talking about how he took a vacation and he just read like an eighteen hundred. Page book on computer graphics so that he could like figure it out.
1: Yeah, he was kind of the mediator between the two groups. They said
0: interesting because he, you know, at this point in his life, he's probably in his forties, maybe fifties. I mean, he's this is at at a stage where people are thinking about like retiring, right? Or they're not interested
1: in changing careers, right? But here's a guy who was like, "No, I got to figure this out." So we're gonna just figure it out. Yeah, he was the one where they said like they had two campuses. They had the computer campus, yeah, and they had like the other all the other former empl- or you know current employees and all the current employees like you said the model makers and everything they were not like they weren't friendly with the computer guys
0: yeah i mean it's like a bunch of young blood kind of yeah all heading over into the computer area the dark side yeah this here's this lady who designed um who did a commercial uh where she animated a baby's face so it looked like it was talking and so now she's been recruited by Lucasfilm to be one of the people who works in their CG department and then here's this uh, kid from college who learned how to do CG stuff in his spare time and then he ends up there and so you not only do you have like because you got to think about like a company like that you have the original people but then you also over time start adding new people new members of the team Mm -hmm. but there's like slowly but surely a transition where the newest hires are no longer kind of working alongside the old guard anymore. They're all ending up somewhere else to work on the future. Right. And that must've started to feel kind of weird. Sure. Because it's like, not only am I getting older in my craft, but I'm getting older and I'm like alone. Yeah. Like I'm not seeing new people come in and work with me. Yeah. Like I'm just stuck here until slowly the digital realm starts taking over everything. Yeah. And
1: just like one of the stories that they touched on that I thought was pretty cool and I had not heard this story was um, after Return of the Jedi, uh, who was the guy that basically got burnt out and he wanted to walk away? He wanted to retire. Uh,
0: I don't remember his name.
1: But yeah, it it was almost a point. Brian Johnston? Yes he was yeah. saying like ILM no longer was fun. Yeah. It was just like it was just too much work, stop grinding where they were trying to meet deadlines and then boom immediately onto the next movie. Boom immediately onto the next movie. And then specifically Return of the Jedi was so intense because they wanted to top Empire yeah with the effects that he just got burnt out. And he went to George and basically said like I'm done. I want to take some of this money that I've earned uh-huh. and I want to travel with my wife and George said, well, don't you, wouldn't you much rather go to film school? (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll pay for it. I'll just, like, send you to UCLA if you want. I'll just uh, cover you. You can learn how to be a filmmaker like me. (laughs) So then he ends up taking him up on that offer. Yeah,
0: and I'm like, that was, that's Brian Johnston. Like, that's the guy who directed, like, Jumanji and all all this other stuff. I'm like, he was a guy at ILM, like, just, like, learning how to do this stuff. And he just, like, stepped out of stepped out of that role and like just started making movies yeah like, that's he, crazy they
1: said he did jumanji he did i think it was jurassic park 3 he did yep uh captain america first avenger yeah so which yeah. makes me like those movies so much more now because i'm like dude this is one of the guys yeah he's one of the ogs like it's he's one OGs. of the ground level ilm dudes who was burnt out and wanted to quit yeah. and george lucas kind of convinced him to stick around what was the first movie that he did I don't remember. They mentioned it, and he said, like, he has no doubt that George called Disney and was like, hey, uh, this is a guy that uh, he could do it for you. So that's a pretty cool story. And he said, like, it's just George, his just ridiculous generosity. I mean, he set him on a path that he otherwise never would have pursued. He was ready to retire and just travel the world. So, So
0: again, I haven't finished the documentary series, but I'm sure it's going to cover one of the more infamous. Um, changes in the film industry which was of course Jurassic Park because that was the movie that definitely of course they'd been doing CG uh, effects and creatures and characters before then but that was the movie that really kind of changed it changed the game. Yeah, That kind of set it up in a whole new space where it's like wow you can really make things come to life in a way never before done using CG and that would change filmmaking like obviously. Yeah. For like the last thirty years.
1: When I left off, they highlighted the storyline with actually Ron Howard, which they kind of show his yeah, whole with, op- with Willow. And- yeah, where they have a scene where the uh, sorcerer witch lady basically transforms into three or four different animals. Yeah, and like, they're like how the heck are we gonna do this? Are we gonna use like a puppet or and um, what's his name? The guy we were talking about earlier. The the guy who was really spearheading the computer graphics movement. Yeah, Dennis Barend. Dennis, yeah, he was like, "Oh, we could probably do that on a computer." Yeah. Ron was like,
0: "What?" <laughs> or like uh, the creature from the abyss, James Cameron, yeah. and, like the water tendril. James touch. Cameron. It's funny to hear James Cameron talk about a time where he was like incredibly intimidated by talking about computer graphics with people and because skeptical. He, he, yeah, because he didn't. He just wasn't familiar with it, and he didn't want to like he didn't want to take a gamble on it necessarily yeah which is ironic considering he is like the guy pushing the envelope <laughs> as far as he possibly can
1: yeah. with cg yeah and his start was with the abyss with ilm and the first like he said that before that there was one fully cgi character it was with, like young sherlock holmes yeah and that was dennis was behind that as yep. well at ilm and uh he's like no i think we can do this james so they they did it with that the water figure
0: yeah and so that's actually kind of just to like start kind of closing our thoughts on this that's actually where it starts to get a little bit more controversial i guess Mm -hmm. because everybody's got an opinion about cg in films it's like maybe overused it's cheating it's a shortcut it's something that's like kind of takes away the magic and i i get that Mm -hmm. i think there's something inherently kind of a weird and disconnecting about hey this wasn't made by human hands right this was made by computer pixels right and there's something about that that i think you do lose i mean i love this documentary because you just like you love watching people like artists do their craft yeah and it's not like i'm saying anybody who works on a computer on cg art like which is like what i do (laughs) <laughs> it's not like I'm saying that they're not talented or that they don't work really hard. It's just like, I think Werner Herzog, I once heard him say say it best, which is you just hate not being able to trust your eyes. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing something and I know it's not real right. and that's not fair. Like I want to see something and go, how did they do that? Right. I don't want to see something and think, oh, well, okay, just CG. Yeah. That's kind of a bummer. It's a little bit lame yeah and so one of the things that i've been wanting to talk about is like the concept of has science gone too far <laughs> <laughs> i think it has are we in the realm of this dark future where ai is taking over the very essence of artistry yeah so i recently this week found this new um thing on the internet called mid journey tell me about it mid journey is an ai art generator Mm. You go into, um, the, you sign up through the website. It, it Essentially, it's run through Discord. And you basically, in Discord, will type in a prompt, a series of prompts, um, describing what you want the art to be. And an AI will spend about a minute generating images for you. And then from there, you can keep enhancing them and getting more variances of the images until you arrive at something you like and then just ask it to fully... Give a full resolution version of it but it's insane yeah. the quality of the stuff that's being produced again it's ai yeah like this is literally just computer algorithms making this stuff yeah i'm sure all of it's based in essence off digital art that's available all over the internet made by human hands right and made by people but it's at the point where like you don't even need the artist anymore to do yeah. this stuff. It just can be generated through algorithms. It's crazy. Which is
1: really strange. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I've seen some stuff where I've seen like TikToks and stuff where it's like, I'm using this AI generator and I typed in, uh, you know, like astronaut in a field of roses. Yeah. And then it's like, well, I like this one and I like the background. So then I told it to give me more options of this. And then it just keeps going and keeps going until like you said, it narrows it down to like, this is the one, give me the full resolution. And it's this amazing, Yeah. I, it looks like something that somebody spent 37 hours in Photoshop creating, except yeah. they didn't. And we're not even that
0: far from this stuff being like fully immersive 3D as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, you think about Google Shoot. Earth. Right.
0: I don't know if you've ever like done Google Earth in VR. Or uh, technically, you can even do this on your computer. Like if you zoom in far enough on Google Earth, it will have three D models of the stuff you're looking at. Right. It's no longer just like the flat two D image. It's actually using AI to try to map. Okay, this is a tree. This is a building. And that stuff only is getting better and better and better. Yeah. And I mean, I have a VR headset headset, and I was using Google Earth, and it's like, okay, I'm going to go to Paris, and I'm going to literally just have my person standing at the bottom of the Eiffel Tower and it's like "But well, wow there it is right <laughs> like, you know it's like AI generated like maybe some of the more memorable and important locations are fine-tuned mm-hmm. but it's like it's so crazy to think about digital technology you know it's it's enhanced movie making so much but you almost can't help but worry
1: like how much is being taken away yeah Like, how far is too far? Well, I mean, I would say, taking it back, my favorite part of this docuseries is the house imploding, where there are shotguns on set ready to blow that thing down the pipe, and it's like, that's gone. There there will never be that again. That just, like, (laughs) that crude, like like make, make it happen, it happen no matter what driving the car down with the explosion right in front of the camera like that's gone
0: there is something um in the last jedi it's the scene where Rey and Kylo Ren are having their kind of force connection conversation with each other and they touch fingertips yeah and um Luke Skywalker barges in and ruins their date and he <laughs> goes "Rey no" and he I don't know if he does it I think if he does it the the hut she's in like the the stone hut it explodes like every single one of the stone bricks like bursts outwards yeah come to find out that was done practically wow like they actually had um hundreds of wires hooked up to all these little foam boulders and stuff
1: and all at once they triggered and just yoink well you know what i think that's because that is their like cornerstone bedrock history. Yeah. That's who they are at heart. Even yeah. with all the technological advance, like this is what ILM does. Yeah. So they're the company that's gonna kind of s- sprinkle that in. Like, here's a shot that we could really have some practical effects. I think audiences,
0: when they see a movie, they don't mind knowing that it's it's fake. Like it's like I know that's a guy in a goofy suit. Right. Or I know that's a puppet They don't mind that Because they feel like Hey There's like There's an artistry to it somehow
1: Yeah
0: You know I, I don't know it, It's like When even I mean The Force Awakens Has actually tons of practical stuff I mean you go into that uh, Maz's castle And it's like a room full of like It's like the It's like the enhanced cantina scene If yeah. they could do it nowadays It's, it's like <laughs> A room full of like
1: A hundred people In goofy costumes and. Yeah. Crazy animatronics and puppets. and It's the cantina that George wanted in A New Hope yeah. because he was like, I just, I don't have enough aliens. Yeah. I need more aliens. They did a reshoot to that too, by the <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. Because like the day
0: of it just wasn't working. And yeah. so they had to like do a bunch of pickup shots later because that was when they had time to actually do it the <laughs> way they wanted to. Yeah. It's kind of funny because there's like this, there's an element where, like for example, the most obvious way of looking at it. Is Lord of the Rings trilogy versus the Hobbit trilogy? Mm. I mean, we're t- we're looking at almost the exact same group of people right. making almost the exact same types of films, but with completely different methods. Right. And it dramatically changes the experience
1: of how much you enjoy it. For sure. Yeah, I, those those two trilogies are like night, night and day. day. Yeah. Night and day, but. I'm sure that I I basically got through almost all of Episode 5 of this Light and Magic Taki series. There's Episode 6, which I think is one of the longest ones. It's a little over an hour. I'm sure that they're going to touch on the, the prequels. And all the work that they did with the prequels. Like you said, Jurassic Park is going to be a part of it. And then I'm guessing the ending is just going to be like snippets of all the stuff that they worked on over the last 15 years or so.
0: It's going to be freeze frames of all these people being like, Dennis went on to run for president of the United States.
1: You know what else I thought was interesting? She wasn't in it much, at least so far. Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah,
0: I mean, people, again, people pick on her a lot because they, you know, they're unhappy with Star Wars' direction with Wonder Disney, but. They also misunderstand, like, Kathleen
1: Kennedy has been around for a long time. Yeah. And from what I understand, she was handpicked by George. Like, yeah. she's the one that can do this. Yeah, she was, uh, I don't remember exactly what her
0: position was, but she, I think she was, like, uh, she got into, like, being involved on filmmaking pretty, pretty early in the 70s, late 70s. And by the time, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark or... Uh, maybe it was Temple of Doom. I mean, she was, like, serving as a
1: producer Yeah, with Steven Spielberg. I think it was Temple of Doom. Yeah. Um, so she knew what she was doing. Yeah, she's been around a long time. She's not just some random. Yeah, it's too bad she became a hack. Oh, oh got her. Oh. Bow, bow, bow. Bow, bow, rap bow, sirens. Boom. Poor Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what do you think about all so this, she's Sean? She's doing her best. What is an industrial... On a scale of one to magic, how much light does industrial bring? Man, it's definitely... Um, it's definitely five Tauntauns out of 10.
0: Nice. <laughs>
1: yeah, I would agree with it's that. It's
0: five Tauntauns out of 10 Wampas, if you know what I mean. Dang. Yeah, one of the one of the things that I was really, really grateful for watching the series is, like, when I was a kid, I loved watching the behind-the-scenes stuff. For sure. On movies. Like, yeah, you watch the movie, you got the DVD or the VHS, but, like, dude, I would love to just sit there and watch all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Mm -hmm. hours and hours and hours and then you know you get into the early 2000s you get the extended edition of the lord of the rings which has like 20 hours (laughs) of behind these i mean like to this day nothing has ever been produced that so extensively delves into the making of a film franchise and so it just like scratched that itch especially because like i also would love listening like watching a movie with the director's commentary Mm -hmm. or the cast commentary because i want to like I want to unpack it. I want to learn. Give me the full story. Yeah, I want to, because like that stuff is sometimes more interesting to me than the movie. Right. Like, like
1: I want to know how they made it happen. Like at this point, learning all this behind the scenes of New Hope is way more interesting than a New Hope. Yeah. Because you see the ripple effects that that had. It's like there was so much, not only for them to complete that movie, there was so much riding on them doing it the, the way that they did it. Yeah. And like it changed movies forever. It's inspiring. Super inspiring. Like, I love hey, it. You can, if you, if you can dream it, you can do it. And that's why I googled like, how do I become an ILM intern?
0: <laughs> yeah, like well, I think James Cameron once, like I think he, I think he said at some point. I mean, he was like a truck driver or something, and it must have been Star Wars because he like, he basically quit his job, and he went to the library and he just like took out like a dozen books on filmmaking and just like spent all day reading them.
1: And then just was like, I'm going to make movies. Freaking baller move. Exterminator. It's, it's his origin story. What's yours, Sean? Uh, uh, it's an extremely goofy movie. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one. Yep. That's right. Chuck. That's that set you on the right path. Uh, anything else you want to touch on, Sean?
0: Um, I'm just going to hear, I'm just here to say that, uh, it's been nice knowing you guys, um, but as an artist, apparently I'm a dying breed. Computers are taking over. I guess so. Uh, James Cameron, you know, talking about Skynet, mm. taking over humanity. It all comes full circle. Yeah. It's a prophetic
1: roundabout. He was, uh, he was afraid of ILM when he was making The Abyss. And he should have trusted
0: those fears. He should have. And now he's the guy filming people underwater <laughs> for CG shots. Freaking yikes. Making... Five Avatar films. Yamez. That we're all hoping we get to see
1: before we die, before the world ends. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, dang. uh, The Ron Howard connection, all the way back from American Graffiti to then him working with ILM on Willow to then his daughter directing episodes of The Mandalorian. I mean, that's a really cool connection. Nepotism. Dang. (laughs) Or, you know, talent, I
0: guess. I mean, hey, whatever. People work hard (laughs) and they. They usually follow in their parents footsteps that's, that's where they're most skilled who you know <laughs> well it is interesting to think that like i don't know uh i mean i'm sure george lucas's kids are great people and are successful in their own ways but it's like it's weird that i never hear about them sure making movies or working in stuff
1: yeah it's true Oh well yeah missed out i guess so all right well this has been i this was a really cool uh thing to dive into i kind of threw it out as an as a as a topic of discussion. I saw it pop up on Disney Plus. I was like, oh, that might be interesting. I enjoyed this way more than I even thought I would. Super, super cool stuff, man. I love it. And like, I'm not the film nerd, but I'm becoming one because I hang out with you more and more. Like if
0: I die and go to heaven, I hope I have infinite time just to watch Behind the scenes of like all the movies I like,
1: yeah, that's all I want. Take me back to take when they were back. doing, to when they were doing a new hope. They had a, didn't he say like they were cutting it up even like the day before the premiere was set. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it's like take me back to that day and the stress and the chaos of the room, but knowing how it was all going to turn out, like seeing the the like I said the ripple in the water that it created. I want to see the cool tree. Stuff. I want to see the tree of George Lucas. Uh, you should AI it
0: it's it's possible it's not, it's not
1: impossible that's for sure anything's possible thanks for listening guys Just i would highly recommend watching the docuseries the other one as well shadows of the empire uh, empire of dreams i i don't know why shadows of the
0: empire is another thing somebody should check out though that was a that's a whole story there
1: i don't know why that popped in my head because yeah. it was the n64 game Oh, that's right. Yeah, at the Hoth level. <laughs> Empire of Dreams, I would recommend. When did that one come out, Sean? You said like 2005, 2006?
0: Yeah, it was around the time they
1: put out the DVDs for... It's on Disney Plus. Yeah, you should definitely watch that. It doesn't matter which one you watch first or second. Just know that Empire of Dreams is kind of like an overall George Lucas, yeah. Star Wars origin story, whereas uh, uh, Light and Magic is obviously just focusing on ILM and all that they've done. So, all right. Uh, Turning give us... Dennis Murin into a household name. Sure did. Who? Who? <laughs> <laughs> I knew his face, but even earlier, I couldn't remember his name. Now I'll never forget him. He's the guy though. All right. Thanks for listening. Leave a comment, leave a like. Uh, if, you could, if you're could, if you listening on Spotify or iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts, please give us a, a review, uh, comment, like, subscribe, all of those good things. We appreciate you guys listening and we're having fun. So send this thing to the moon.